wonder if I could speak to you a little bit this morning as we get into the year, just prophetically. I, uh, this is not fully just the message, just something that God's been speaking to me over the last probably two years, no, about 18 months. So I want to take a few minutes and just speak to you a little bit. You know, as when you go to the movies or when you, I don't watch a lot of TV, but you see upcoming releases. That's what I'm going to just mention to you a little bit, coming to a heart near you soon. And um, so I keep seeing, you know, it was dreams, visions, words, pictures. Last month, it was about a six-month season where it's not about a person. It's just about something that God wants to do. I couldn't even start to describe what I would see when I would pray. And, and I would try, but this would happen. But over the last little while, I've been saying, God, I, I need some help with this. And, and I would say boldly, confidently, it's, it's not something I think and maybe I, I would actually stake my life on this, is that I see two things as an awakening, and it's not like some revival, or it's, it's not like that. It's awakening of the heart. And there's something in this season that God is doing. I meet Christians from all over the place, and I see in general people from all over are becoming hungry for the things of God. It's across denominations, across lines, across countries. There's something that God is stirring, and it's like some people can see or hear or sense a tug of God. And it's like an awakening of God. It's just an awakening of the heart. I think the miracles will increase. We've seen God move wonderfully here over the last 18 months. Bodies healed, families restored. God's genuinely doing an amazing, a wonderful work. But yet the focus is going to be, is going to continue to be on the heart. It's the heart of man. When God grabs a hold of your heart, what he can do with a person who fully gives their heart to the Lord is unbelievable. Is unbelievable. But there is a, there's something of saying, God, have my heart, but there's something different when God sovereignly snatches your heart. And I see that happening. I, I, was, I would dream and see entire regions, entire streets, God snatching their heart. Scripture that says, awake, awake, and put on strength, O Zion. Put on your beautiful garments. That's identity. They would have warriors' garments and priestly garments and worshippers' garments. O Jerusalem, the holy city, that's the church. For the uncircumcised and the unclean shall no longer come to you. That doesn't mean that people won't come to church that need God. It's talking about the oppression of the enemy. Shake yourself from the dust and arise and then sit down. Loose yourself from the bonds of your neck, O captive daughter of Zion. This is an awakening I see and, and I hear. I, didn't, I wasn't aware of this, but as I look at some of the prophets and look around, they're all saying similar things. But it's to be awoken by the Lord in your heart. And yet there's a response that's required. It's like he's doing it, yet there's a response. He's doing it, yet there's a response. And it says, shake yourself from the dust and then sit down. That's talking about rulership, to sit and rule. When Jesus was finished, he sat down. Ephesians 5 says, awake you who sleep. Arise from the dead and Christ will give you light. I don't have more than that, but I just see in this season, it's not a word for the year. It's something I've been saying for about six months, seven months, maybe longer. There's a ramping up of just an awakening. God is after the heart. When the Holy Spirit left the temple, oh, help me, Lord. When the Holy Spirit left the temple in Ezekiel, they, 
they had confined God. Prophets were warning, there's judgment coming, there's something happening, there's something coming. And they said, God's confined to the temple, don't worry about it. You know, and it's like the God experts. And I know I've shared this here before, but there's something in my heart that I just feel like God's saying, say it again. It's the God experts. It's those who have seen God move and there's something about that. And I had a, a vision of me, I was standing with the Lord and God was moving in a sense in a room and all these people were, God was wonderful. But then all these people stood up and said, this is that and God's doing that over there, that over there. And I saw the Lord's face and he just said, oh really? You know, it's this thing of we box him so quickly. He is the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. He has created all power, all dominion. And we put him in our time, in our church, in our fact, we do this, and we become very comfortable. It's, it's, I'm not rebuking. It's just something that God is doing in the hearts of people. <laughs> it really, really is. And so he comes to awaken, and it, it's very unsettling because it's not something we're accustomed to. It breaks our boxes. It breaks our dimensions. It changes our perspective, even on scriptures, and it, something shifts and moves and changes because God steps in. He just steps in. Isaiah 64 says that God will step in and do the things for which we did not even ask. Now it's talking about when Jesus comes, obviously. But whenever God steps in, he does things way beyond what we've been praying for. He does things that we haven't asked. He just moves powerfully, sovereignly. And I really see an awakening and I see also just a new thing. And there was about 10, 15 years ago, it's like the scripture came over and over and over in church circles. And I just hear it again, uh, just me personally, but also God says I'm doing a new thing. And in Luke 5, and I won't go read it, it talks about garments, wine and wineskins. Now for those who are new to the church or new to just anything of the prophetic arena, of the prophetic realm, the wine is the move of God, the spirit of the Lord the new wine versus old wine. And he said, no one who's had old wine immediately desires the new because they prefer the old. Jesus said that in Luke 5. What he's saying, he was actually talking about Judaism and Christianity. But it's a prophetic truth that whenever God comes to do something and shift everyone who was, not everyone, many who are used to God doing things a different way, they stand and go, yeah, that's not the Lord because God does it this way. And I want to encourage you to open your heart and to allow God to stretch you. You see, because old wine, there's nothing wrong with old wine. The way God moves and we get comfortable with his presence or when, whenever God moves through a certain person, these things happen. That's all fine. That's great. There will always be that. The old wine will always be there. But old wine, the way it works, I am not preaching about this, but apparently we are just briefly. The way it works is they would have it in wineskins and they would pour the wine, new wine in wineskins and the fermentation process, which would cause gases, you know, like the wineskin, the leather goatskin would tighten. And as the wine would stay in there, it would increase in potency until it was complete and the wineskin would be stretched full. So Jesus said, if you take what I want to do now and you put it in an old structure, it's already stretched full. And so as the move of God increases in potency, it'll destroy the structure and the people in it and the leaders in it. So he looks, he says, I will look to do a new thing somewhere else. Isaiah 43, streams in the desert, rivers in the wasteland. I will do something where there is now nothing. 
so that it can grow in strength and potency. It will always grow. So I just want to encourage you, you know, when it comes to our clothing, it's the same thing in Luke 5, our identity. Jesus said, no one takes an old garment and sews a patch from a new garment on it. That's what he says. What, again, he's talking about Judaism and Christianity in that text as he answers the questions about fasting. But it's always true. When a person has been wearing a certain mantle, that's the gifts, the call on their life, or they're in a certain stream or certain move or in a certain era of time when God's been doing something, whether it's the charismatic renewal before that, even all the way back to the Reformation with Martin Luther, God will begin to do things at different times. And what happens is we get used to those garments, we get used to that identity, and then God says, I'm doing a new thing. And when we take something of the new and we try to stick it on the old, and he said, if you do that, it will destroy the old. It will tear it and make it worse. Hello? Because, you see, all through Scripture, friends, all through Scripture, God's heart has been for your heart. That's it, for your heart. He's desired to communicate with his people. From Genesis to Revelation, God speaks to people. Jesus came and paid a price. Then he says, all my sheep will hear my voice. He paid a price so that could happen. And we, as humanity, me included, all of us, we constantly get stuck in modes and methods and structures. God's after the heart. He's after relationship. He has been since the beginning. He will be to the end. He's always after the heart. Always. <laughs> always after the heart. And it's unsettling. It's unsettling. Because he comes, to, God, God, God doesn't do that. Oh, really? Yeah, apparently he does. I'll tell you a little brief story and then we actually have to preach. Um, I prayed for a young man once, he, it wasn't so much about me, it was, I don't know, 10 years ago, and as I prayed for this young man, there's a group of us praying, and the power of God hit this, this kid. It, it shocked me, to be quite honest, I mean, the power of God hit this kid. It was when we were leading youth, and he phones me about four days later, before the Lord, this is a true story, he phones me about four days later, he's in the school, and he says, he's freaking out. So I said, what's going on? He says, I'm running down the hallway in the school. So I said, why? He says, it's raining on me. I feel rain coming on all over my body. It's raining on me, but I'm inside. I'm, and he's freaking out. Rightly so. And I, honestly, I'm being honest. In my heart, I thought it was a desire for attention. I didn't believe it. And I said, yeah, don't worry about it. He said, oh, okay. Phones me about two days later, and he's in the bathroom stall at school, and he's crying and freaking out. He's hiding next to the toilet in the corner. He says, it's raining on me and it won't stop. And I realized, this guy's, this is happening to this kid. He was like 16. I'd never heard of that before. I, that took me by surprise. I thought, what? No ways. So I looked online at some trusted sources. The same thing was being reported all across the world at that time. It wasn't false. The fruit of it, this guy's life was changed. He's in ministry today while well, he leads youth today. So, you know, you look at the fruit, obviously, you look at the fruit. But friends, it's like when, that, when God starts to do something, we have to understand the Holy Spirit 
is not those things. The Holy Spirit doesn't shake, cry, laugh, fall. That's not him. That's what may happen to people who he touches. But that's not who he is. He is calm and stable and powerful and the person of God and has all authority and all dominion. He is known by his nature, which is love, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control, power. He doesn't shake. That's not him. That's what happens to the human body, to the human emotions, the soul, when the Spirit of God touches a human heart. Hello? I believe with all my heart, I know there's, there's an awakening that God is busy doing amongst the hearts of people. And it's maybe new to some of you, but there's a new thing. And so I'm just, I keep, I'm actually, it's been very, I've been cautious to do things. Been cautious to just do, well, that's always what we've done. We just, I've just been cautious saying, God, what do you want to do? It's not just business as usual. David inquired of the Lord. The Lord said, go do it like this. They gathered in the valley of Rephaim, 2 Samuel 5. God said, go do it like this. He says, okay. The next time, the very next scripture, and they gathered in the valley of Rephaim. We would say, okay, just go do what you did last time. It says David went back and inquired of the Lord, gave him a completely different strategy. It's that issue of relationship. It's not a model. It's not a structure. Yeah? Okay. I wonder if you would open your hearts just for a moment. We're just going to pray, and then we'll see how far we get. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, I thank you for the word, for the scriptures. I thank you for truth that sets free. I thank you for the authority that you have, Lord, that you've designated and given to people, and yet you remain sovereign and powerful. You are God of all. We love you, Lord. May we tremble at your word. May you move upon our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to speak to you a little bit about standing your ground. Stand your ground. And it's really about one of David's mighty men, a guy called Eleazar. And it may be a strange thing. You know, at the beginning of the year, people expect vision, corporate vision. It's not that. It's I want to align myself with what he's doing and what I see that he's doing. And so I want to teach something here a little bit in the light of what I've just said. It's just something that God began to put in my heart in November last year. And I would pray and I would just, this name Eleazar would come up. And there's quite a few of them in the Bible. But I knew which one it was and I didn't, God, why are you bringing this up? I actually spoke to my parents about it. said, God, keep speaking to me about this thing, God. And so I just knew it wasn't for then. Eleazar, it's descriptive, I believe, of what will take place in many hearts in this year, in this season of your life. I wonder if you could go to 1 Chronicles chapter 11. All right, 1 Chronicles chapter 11. We're going to talk about David's mighty men. And I just want to quickly say these mighty men, are they were quite something. You know, David has become king. He's set up now as king over all Israel, and he has these mighty men. You know, we need, we need mighty men, and that's mankind. That's men and women. We need these people constantly. You know, it was always the mighty man of God, the mighty woman of God, or even up until now, it was Moses, it was Judges, it was, and then David comes and he's revealing something prophetically of what's going to happen. And it's not just the mighty man, David, it's all these mighty men. It's exactly what Jesus did. It went from one to many disciples. 
there has to be a multiplication where we go away from the, the man of God, the woman of God, the hero. No, the sons and the daughters of God, the mighty people of God. That is the kingdom. And these guys were a little crazy. The one guy killed 800 men in one shot with a spear. Not all with one throw. He was, you know, they would fight with a spear. It must have been a very long spear if he did that. But 800 men, it says they were men of valor whose faces were like lions, swift as gazelles in the mountains. The one guy killed 300 people in a day. The one guy jumped into a snowy pit and killed a lion. The other guy, it says he, he fought off a man. I think he was about eight, nine feet. is like semi-giant. And he fought off a guy. He had no weapon. It said he just had a little staff. But he got hold of the man, took his weapon and killed him with it. I mean, these, they're called men of renown. They were wild. They were, you know, faces like lions. I imagine these bearded, crazy guys, you know, <laughs> really crazy. It's like Navy SEALs, Rambo, Green, all put together. And, you know, in the Old Testament, it's a natural battle. In the New Testament, we fight not flesh and blood. And I've heard this text being taught for many years, David's mighty men, and, you know, let's be men and prophetically look at the New Testament. It's mighty in God, mighty in the spirit. It was these same crazy men when David turns around and says, listen, we're gonna take timbrels and harps and, and we're gonna set up a thing of worship. And they supported him while he did that. David, the mighty soldier, David, the worshiping poet. It's both. So let's go read. 1 Chronicles 11, verse 10 to 14. It says here, these were the heads of the mighty men who David had, who strengthened themselves with him in his kingdom with all Israel, to make him king according to the word of the Lord concerning Israel. And this is the number of the mighty men whom David had. And it's very confusing if you read it. There's three over here and three over there and seven of, it's just, it's hard to kind of put together. But this is the number of the mighty men whom David had, Jashobim, the son of the Hakmonite, a chief of the captains, he had lifted up his spear against 300. He was the guy who another time killed 800. 300 killed by him at one time. After him was Eleazar, and that's the focus of today. The son of Dodo, that's not a dumb bird. It's actually Dodai. The son of Dodai, the Aohite, who was one of the three mighty men. He was with David at Pastamim. Now there were the Philistines there were gathered for battle and there was a piece of ground full of barley. So the people fled from the Philistines, but they stationed themselves in the middle of that field and defended it and killed the Philistines. So the Lord brought about a great victory. You go to 2 Samuel, if you can, 23. It's the same story. Verse eight. These are the names of the mighty men whom David had. Josh, that guy. Joseph, that, that guy, I can't. The Takmanite, this is talking about the same guy. The chief among the captains, he was called Edino the Esnite because he had killed 800 men at one time. I mean, that's almost 1,000 men like Samson. Think about it. Samson killed 1,000 at one time. And after him was Eleazar, the son of Dodo, <laughs> the Aohite one of three mighty men with David when they defied the Philistines who were gathered there for battle and the men of Israel had retreated. He arose and attacked the Philistines until his hand was weary and his hand stuck, some translations say clave, some say froze, to his sword. The Lord brought about a great victory that day and the people, that's the, all the Israelites that had run away, they returned after him only 
to plunder. In other words, they returned just to take the spoils, even though he had won the victory. I believe that we are in the days of Isaiah 5, when it talks about, woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put light for darkness and darkness for light, sweet for bitter and bitter for sweet. It's what's happening in many places around the world. What is evil is being called good. What is good is being called evil. An entire generation is confused. So what do you do as the people of God when the rest of the Israelites are running away? Well, this is a good text. You stand your ground. And can I say, you don't stand your ground and fight. You see, I've said this before. I don't think the enemy cares what battle you pick as long as you fight it with carnal weapons. Whether it's a political battle, a social battle, a city issue. issue. But if you fight it with carnal weapons, he doesn't care. Because you may win a few people over, you may change a few people's opinion, but the strongholds in the spirit will not move. So he's calling people to stand, and, to stand their ground and understand what it is to stand for the Lord without coming against people. So we're going to take some clues out of this text. Number one, standing your ground when the rest are running. And I, again, I say this, I believe it's what God, something in this story, something of what I hear from the prophets, from the prophetic, some of what I see myself, is there something of this that God is doing in people's hearts. And so I will say boldly, coming to your heart, like a new release, coming soon to a heart near you. It says, they strengthened themselves with him. They strengthened themselves with him in his kingdom. Well, how? First, what is the first thing we see? Eleazar, the son of. And it's the son of this and the son. It's a good question to ask yourself, whose son are you? Whose daughter are you? You see, because if your father in the natural was a five-star general and you got in trouble, that matters. And we have to move past principles. Please hear my heart. I'm not, it's just the passion inside of me today. It's not angled at anybody. But we have to move past the joy, the thrill of principle. Oh, wow, I had a revelation about the Father. The thrill of principle to actually doing something. Who is your Father? It's God. That has to matter. That has to actually begin to mean something. That has to begin to mean something. You, you, you know, I, for years we would hear the scripture, Ephesians 6, we fight not flesh and blood, but principalities, powers, authorities, rulers of the darkness. And, and it's like you would hear that people would almost get afraid. Actually says we wrestle in the Greek. It's a close combat. But who's your father? It starts with identity. It says, Eleazar, the son of Dudai, he was an Aohite. You know what those words mean? Eleazar means because if you prophetically, we read the Old Testament with New Testament spectacles, yeah? Prophetically, Eleazar means God has helped. To die means which was his father, his beloved, or belonging to love. Eohite means a brother of rest. You see, the identity is sorted out. Eleazar's heart, in order to stand, his heart was already convinced, God wants to help me. 
to him and his heart, God is good. Means he's, that's what his name means. God has helped. Many people just think God is out to get me. And the very, the very beginning of a walk is crippled. We cannot stand, friends, unless our identity, something of identity is sorted out. Yet it's not about you, but yet it's important that you know how he sees you. What you believe or who you believe God is, not give me scriptures, and I mean that with all the love of my heart, obviously you need to know those. Not, not the right answers. Who you believe in your heart. Who is God? What's he like? And what's in his mind and his heart concerning you? You know, all over the world, people have been preaching identity now for, I don't know, a couple years. I, for eight years, I preached sonship. They used to mock me in the youth. But we had kids standing up on school buses, standing up in the bus, preaching the gospel. Because I convinced them, your identity, your acceptance, your approval comes from one place only. It has to become actually real. He believed that God wanted to help him. He knew he was loved by his father. That's the name of his father. Now, that's his earthly father for us. It's, us. it's our heavenly father. He knew his brother. Who's our brother in the New Testament? Jesus called them brothers. His brother was at rest. When Jesus finished, he sat down. His brother had all authority. <laughs> There's an identity that needs to be formed in our day. And I believe with all my heart in this season that God is looking for leaders who will free people and teach people who they are, not try to make them who they are. You see, David started like that. He, had, he was a worshiper behind the scenes. He couldn't fight with Saul's armor. Imagine how that broke rank, how that broke the whole army sitting at boy who refuses to fight with the king's armor, something they all wanted to do. He says, that's not who I am. I need to be able to be myself. Yet I honor and respect. It's not, stuff, it's not come against, it's not rebellion, it's I honor and respect. But there's a general sense that the leaders are passionate about people becoming who God has said that they are. It's not about towing the party line. It's not about become something to you know, help my corporate vision. And who are you? Very, very important. And David established mighty men. Why? Because the very outset they knew he will allow us to be who we are. Yet David's still the king. Sounds freeing, yeah? Okay, good. It's not just me. You know, Philippians 3, and I may have to get onto this next week, says there is a that for your life. There is a that. I know. Philippians 3 says, I press on to take hold of that for which God in Christ Jesus took hold of me. Actually says lay hold of. It's a violent term. Paul speaking. I press in, I press forward to take hold of that for which God in Christ Jesus took a hold of me. God took a hold of him, snatched him, knocked him right off his horse. I say knocked him off his high horse, literally. When God snatches a person's heart, it's for a purpose. It's not just to make them better. It's not just to make them heaven bound. There is a that for your life. Each one of you. It's like I brought some little tools today. Please, if you're mad with someone here, don't, 
take these. This is an axe. This is a hammer. Tools. I love tools. I really do. I have a little workshop, a pretend shop. I love tools because it's in the garage. But, uh, you know, these are great. You know what I've learned about tools is that you can use... <laughs> nope. You can, I have to. I don't want to throw it or something. You can use many tools to do the same job. I can use this. It's not exactly flat for someone who's very specific like me, a woodworker. It's very off, but it's not perfect. But I could use this to hit in a nail, but it violates design. It's not what it was designed for, but I could do it. Or I could use this. See, there are many things that people can do. doesn't mean it's the design of God. I could do it. It'll probably take me a little bit longer. I'd do it. It's like, I'll just work. I'll just get it done. There are always things we have to do outside of who we are. But there is a that for your life. And I said with an axe, so you remember. <laughs> there is. It says they strengthened themselves. It starts with identity. They strengthened themselves with him. With him. It says with him and his kingdom. You see, in 1 Samuel 30, I won't get into it. There's a book written about it, Strengthening Yourself in the Lord. I encourage you to go read it. It says they came to this place and David and all his men and their women and children had been stolen. The whole city burnt and it says they were distressed. It says David was greatly distressed for the people, 1 Samuel 30, spoke of stoning him because of the soul of all the people were grieved, every man for his sons and his daughters. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. Now, there's a whole book written about that. But what's interesting to me is years go by. That happened in, in 1 Samuel 22 when these mighty men came. It says they came distressed, discontented, and in debt. It actually means they came distressed, full of anxiety. They were overwhelmed. Who knows what it's like to feel overwhelmed? They came in debt. They came with discontentment. It means bitterness of soul. So these mighty men, they saw when David felt distressed and everyone's against him, his own people. The people in the church want to kill the pastor. That's what's happening here. And we need to break that structure, but we'll get into that another time. He's distressed. And they watched, it doesn't, self, it doesn't say he strengthened himself in the Lord thy God. He says in the Lord his God. There's a season of your life where you find your personal Christ. You discover who God is with you, for you, in you. It's for you and you alone. And they saw this man strengthen himself in the Lord, his God. And then it came to a point where they were, just, how did you, you know, they came distressed, but then they saw, so, and it says they, they strengthened themselves with him in his kingdom. How? They learned from asking and watching him. They went to him and they were like that to say, you remember when you did that thing? We all wanted to kill you. Yeah, sorry about that. But remember that now, and then you went away and you said, I mean, God, you changed. You just changed. What did you do? Because God wants to go from a mighty man, a mighty woman to mighty people. Yeah. And it's on your knees, friends. It's actually something that's hard to, to teach because it's different for every person. But it's here. It's here. Lord, you know. 
only comes there. It says they strengthened themselves with him in his kingdom. And then it says how? According to the word of the Lord. I, I won't get into this because I want to spend 10 minutes on the next one. But according to the word of the Lord, it's this. It's this. Somebody asked me a while ago, I think it might have been Chantel, my sister. I was praying for people and, you know, it was just God was just being very kind to all of us and God was moving. And somebody asked me afterwards, I think, it was, if you could impart one thing to people, what would it be? One thing. Instantly I knew. It, it wasn't a difficult question. People say, you know, I want to see them, the ability to heal people. You know, it's like you talk like that when you're kids. If you had a million dollars, what would, you know. If you could impart one thing, like a, if one thing, I'd say an absolute convincing they know in their heart that this is infallible in God's word. Because then you will shape yourself around the stuff in here that even that you don't like. When, you, when this issue is settled and you find something, you begin to search because sometimes it doesn't mean what you think it means. If I could impart one thing, it would be that this is God's word. It says they strengthened themselves according to the word of God. They strengthened themselves according to the word of God. What about the word of God concerning you? Many of you have prophetic words. Some of you don't. Hang around, you'll get some. It's true. Prophetic words. Paul said to Timothy, I charge this charge I commit to you, son Timothy, according to the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you wage the good warfare. Who remembers that story that Donna Melinda came up here and shared about the breakthrough in their company, tens of millions of dollars, a couple of weeks ago? Yeah, remember? Ten years of an issue bowed all of a sudden. You know what they did? They had two prophetic words, two. Some of us have books. They just had two. One was from Tommy, one was from someone else, which is a sobering thing if it's from you. That's why you better know it's from the Lord. I mean that. They had two prophetic words that they went to every day when everything was contradicting. They said, Lord, this is what you said. This, I heard that, it's sobering. You're like, I, was, I want to tell Tommy, you, you better make, you know, because people will, should use it to fight. God, this is what you said to me. This is what you said. This is what you said. And not be offended when it doesn't come about like you want or think. Offended with him or them. It's not like that. They strengthened themselves according to the word of the Lord. We need prophets in the church again. Many. Prophetic. Restored. In some circles it is. It needs to be across the globe. The voice of God, but to you individually, but also the voice from the front. The second is, they strengthened themselves. The second, I want to talk to you about the place of testimony. The place of testimony. You guys still okay? Great. The place of testimony, Revelations 12, 11 says, they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and the word of the testimony. And we all know that, but it doesn't end there. It says, and they did not love their lives unto death. Now, biblically, that's speaking about Jesus's blood overcoming the devil and 
the word of the testimony of the New Testament church about what happened and about who Christ is. So we often take it prophetically. We have to always understand what it actually means before you can actually take it prophetically. Please hear me. But it is true that we stand on testimonies. We stand on testimonies. So I'm going to jump into a little bit into story mode. If you can go back to 2 Samuel 23 and 1 Chronicles 11 and just tell you a little bit of a story about this guy, Eleazar. Eleazar, the son of Dodo, the Oahite, one of the three mighty men with David when they defied the Philistines. So there wasn't one man. Eleazar was with three mighty men. There were three mighty men and David. That's four people. They were gathered. The Philistines were gathered there for battle, and the men of Israel had retreated. Everyone, all God's people are running away. The intimidation by the culture, intimidation by whatever. So everyone's going quiet. Everyone's running away. And those that are fighting are sometimes standing up in their own strength, fighting in carnal weapons and marches and this and protests and... It's not changing the spiritual atmosphere. And it says, he arose, verse 10, he arose and attacked the Philistines until his hand was weary and his hand stuck or clave to the sword. And the Lord brought about a victory. The next one, 1 Chronicles 11 says it like this. After him was Eleazar, the son of Dodai, the Elohite, who was one of the three mighty men. He was with David at Pastamim. He was with David at Pastamim. Now there were Philistines there gathered for battle, and we know the story. There was a ground full of a uh, piece of barley. That was just a place where they were strategically, you can see people coming from a distance. Barley's low. So they stationed themselves there, and, uh, and they stationed themselves. They defended it and killed the Philistines. Why is that so important? You know, they, there's no wasted words in Scripture. Yeah? Sometimes the things we overlook are very, very important. It says... These mighty men, there's these three, and then there's David. They too were running. We have to understand that. They didn't line up for battle arrangement in a barley field. They didn't start there. They were running. And he gets to a place. I had a vision, actually, of this in December, literally. Please don't play with this. This is an actual battle-ready sword. It's sharp. It'll shave the hair off your arm. It's genuine. If, if you're running, and you're running, and all of a sudden, what changed? What changed? This man's running with all these mighty men, these faces of lions. They're running from the enemy, and it says he was with David at Pastamim. This is telling a story about what happened there. When they were at Pastamim, this thing happened with Eleazar. What happened before that in that place? That's the place where Goliath fell. It says that in 1 Samuel 17. It tells you where they were. They were in Ephes to Meme. It means the same in the Hebrew. They were in Ephes to Meme. And that's where Goliath fell. So if we could use some poetic license, these men are running. It was in the same area, in the same place. And they come to a place and something in this man's heart remembered his God. And he turned around. I saw a vision of this last year, this Middle Eastern looking man, obviously. He just turned around, and you've seen it in the movies, and he just drew a line like this in the sand with his sword, and he said, you come no further. Why? Because on this land, greater enemies than you have been slain. And courage came to him. Courage entered him. 
That's what happened. You know, there comes a time when what you're running from, you turn and face. Whatever it is, your past, a secret issue, a habit. He did it for his king. He was like a king's bodyguard. And he remembered. He turned and he said, you go no further. In this place, a boy killed a giant. And I cannot allow you to take ground that does not belong to you. Bible says the scepter of the wicked will not rule in the land allotted to the righteous. There comes a time when something happens, when God snatches hold of a person's heart and it's like a righteousness rises up and you say, no more, no more. And something changes. You go from victim to victor. The circumstance sometimes doesn't change, but you change. Because something happens. God snatches your heart and it's standing on places where giants have fallen. Standing in, bar, standing in a harvest field that you didn't sow. You know what Goliath means? It means splendor. See, we have to understand. We stand in a place where the splendor of the enemy was destroyed by Christ. He came out in all his splendor and Christ just leveled him. You stand there. You do. We know that here, but you do. And there are things that you face. Sometimes, and it sometimes is dependent on your sphere of influence. For some of you in seats of power, there's something that grabs your heart. He says, no more in my city. What's happening in the school or what's happening? No more in my city. And you don't fight it carnally. You begin to pray. You begin to cry out to God. You say, God, this has got to change. Not on my watch no more. For some of you parents with your children, it's like something, something rises up and you say, you cannot have my family any longer. And you begin to stand where you belong. For some of you, it's, a, it's something you face in your own heart, something you've been afraid of, a secret, an issue, a habit. And it's, but you suddenly see, it's like the, you see the deception of it. It's like God peels back and you see this is, it's destroying me. And you just, something happens. You will steal from me no longer. We have to stand, friends. It took courage. And sometimes the little moments, the, the, the things that we think are not important, they're small things. You know with the Moses and the burning bush, we all say, oh, the burning bush experience, like it's this big, it is. But you know that bushes burning in those days, those things were actually quite common. I don't want to get into that. You could, because of the dryness and these certain things would burn. But it says, Moses saw the burning bush. That wasn't very, it was, yeah, he'd been doing that for 40 years in that place. So he had seen it a few times. But it says, but then he turned to the side to see why the bush does not burn up. And it says there, next sentence, and because he turned to the side, God spoke to him. Sometimes it's a small thing and it's like it catches your heart and we're like, uh, yeah, no. Pay attention to it because courage will come to you. 
God will put courage in you. He arose. That's what the first thing it says. It says he arose. He stood up. Something happens and you arise. Awake, O sleeper. <laughs> Ephesians 5. Awake, arise, and, let, and Christ will give you light. You stand up and you say, no more. No more. <laughs> There's something that happens in the heart. And only God can do that. But sometimes it's the response. Sometimes he just does it with the person. He snatches their heart. But sometimes it's a small thing. And you turn to the side. And then God reaches out and snatches your heart. The cost of allowing something to continue to steal from you to steal from others, to ruin your city, to ruin your school, to ruin your family, to ruin your heart. Suddenly, that cost, that, that I don't want to deal with this, I don't want to fight this, I'll just be I'll just, suddenly, something changes in your heart. And what you've seen is like that cost doesn't matter anymore. Who knows what I'm talking about? Something arises, you say, right now I don't care about the cost, this has to stop. And I cannot use a carnal weapon. Bible says we have weapons of our warfare are mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds. What happened? It says they, they stationed themselves. You notice that? He arose. One man. But they stationed. You know how many people are longing for your victory? People are longing for your victory. They may not know it, but they are. One, one arises and they stationed themselves in whatever you face. When I got saved, I did that. I got saved and I was saved for six months. Kind of, I left the whole area and I went literally like in a room and hid away because my life was a mess. Drugs and it just wasn't, I was a professional bad guy, you know, it just wasn't good. And so I had to leave the area and get away from the crowds and the people and the groups and the things that I was involved in. But six months later, I went back and I visited three people, one after the next. Hardened guys. I mean, serious guys. <laughs> and every one of them cried. Said, we've been waiting for you to turn. <laughs> it's like the ripple effect. One stone does that. We'll leave it there. There's other things I want to get to, but we'll get there next week. Friends, I want to encourage you. I, I believe with all my heart. God is going to snatch your heart. Sometimes it's small. Sometimes it's big. It, it's not about that. It's the heart. God is after the heart. He wants your heart. He really wants your heart more than anything else. Your heart. Two Chronicles says, the Lord's eyes search to and fro across the earth for those hearts who are fully his. You cannot add Jesus to your life like a patch on a garment. This is my life. Okay, I'll add church. I'll add Jesus. It will sometimes make things worse. It will tear what you're involved in. He wants your heart. Amen.